Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Fear Not. We can all identify with fear, but it's what we do with this fear that matters. During this series, we'll learn how to overcome some common fears with the power of God. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. So we're starting this new series off called Fear Not, and we are focusing on the fact that Jesus calls us to not be afraid, to not, to not live in fear. Um, and the reality is, though, is that we all experience fear at some time or another. You know, if you're walking down the hallway and somebody jumps out and, and says boo, it catches you off guard, it startles you. If you go to the doctor and you get a, a diagnosis that you weren't expecting, that may experience, you may experience fear. If uh, if you struggle with uh, new situations, a new job or whatever it is, that, that beginning experience may create some fear. The reality is this. We've been all created to feel the emotion of fear. But God doesn't want us to stay stuck in fear. That command, uh, fear not, comes through both the Old and the New Testament time and time again. Now, you know, let me, let me just sort of give you this idea. You know, some, this idea, some people uh, think that, you know, I don't want to talk about my fears because if I talk about my fears, they, they are going to come into reality. But here's the important thing for you to know. Our thoughts and our words don't have that kind of power. Um, let me just do a little experiment. How many of you have ever experienced any kind of degree of fear about flying in an airplane? Yeah. Did your fear make the plane crash? No. You're here. You're here right now. The plane didn't crash, okay? So the, the Bible gives us tons and tons of teaching about fear. And here's probably one of the most exciting verses to me. It comes from 2 Timothy. And here's the, the scripture that Paul gives us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Now, let me give you a little background for this scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul has been raising up uh, a young leader. His name is Timothy. Timothy, uh, for what reasons we don't fully understand, uh, there's no father uh, mentioned in his life. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother. Um, and he's been brought into uh, leadership in a, a young church. And uh, Paul has been discipling him, training him, helping him to become a follower uh, of Jesus and now to become a leader. And he experiences uh, some type of fear, timidity. And so he gives him this word and basically says, listen, God's not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love. He's given you a, a spirit of a sound mind. And so let me just unpack those a little bit, okay? His reference to the spirit, he's talking about the fact that God has placed inside of Timothy and inside of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you may not have known this until now. You might not have felt anything or experienced anything. That's fine. But the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. And Paul tells us that the attributes of the Spirit have nothing to do with fear. 
And so that's why he says, listen, I placed the spirit in you. And so you have the attributes of the spirit. And there's no spirit of fear in the spirit of God. All right. Now, again, you may feel fear. That's because God created you to feel fear. But what he's saying is, I don't want you to stay stuck in fear. I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to be paralyzed by, by fear. So the Holy Spirit gives everybody who believes in him, uh, the, his spirit comes into every single one of us, and we have the power to do what God calls us to do through the Holy Spirit. All right, Anything that God calls you to do, you have the power to do it because the Spirit of God dwells within you. All right? Here's the next thing that we see that, that Paul says about the Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to love. More specifically, the ability to love like Jesus loves. So what do I mean by that? Well, think this one through. Who does Jesus love? Everybody. All right? So Jesus gives you and I through the power, of the, spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to love all people. Jesus loved those who loved him, and he loved those who hated him. He loved those who followed him, and he loved those who turned his back on them. He loved those who were unlovable and those who were lovable. So who are we supposed to love? All those people, all right? That's pretty much everybody, all right? Paul tells us something about, his, about the love of Jesus. He said nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, all right? Nothing. So as his followers, we need to love people like he loves them. Uh, Dr. Newt Larson uh, has written this. He said, um, love like this is unnatural to humans, but... That's the distinguishing quality of Christians. And it comes only as we allow God's Spirit to live through us. So we can love, we can love like Jesus loves when we allow the Spirit to help us do that. So if there's anybody that you struggle with love, anybody you're afraid to love, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to be able to do that. Um, Finally, the Spirit gives us a sound mind. Uh, Other translations say a spirit of self-discipline, a spirit of self-control. But here's the big idea. It's the idea that God gives us a sound mind for careful, sensible thinking. It's the ability to think clearly with the wisdom and understanding that God imparts to us. Now, today we're going to look at one specific kind of fear. We're going to look at what the Bible tells us about experiencing the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection deals with our self-worth and our desire to feel significant. It deals with our desire to want to be liked. It deals with our desire to want to be in community, in relationship with other uh, people. And and it's important to acknowledge that, you know, with the fear of rejection, sometimes there's also a fear of abandonment. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst has written an entire book about uh, the fear of rejection. It's called Uninvited. I recommend it to anybody that's wrestling with this because she's going to go into some detail about some things that I'm not. But let me just share with you what she's written about her experience of rejection and her own personal battle to overcome the continuing fear of rejection. It all starts from when she was a child. She writes, 
When I was a little girl, I had a place I'd go to hide away. We were living in a brown apartment complex at that time. And on the side of our unit near the woods, there was a cement ditch. It was an unlikely spot for a small frame girl who liked pink and hated bugs. But from the very first time I ventured down in the ditch, being hidden made me feel wonderfully secure. Lots of events could spin and swirl in other people's lives outside the ditch, but I remained untouched and unaffected. I was a spectator, not a participant. I loved this feeling that life could happen around me, but not to me. My world in the ditch felt predictable and therefore safe. No one ever came over to peek inside or attempt to join me. In the strangest way, I felt as long as I stayed hidden, Life stayed in control and I stayed safe. It was a place where the scary possibilities at home couldn't touch me. But back inside the brown apartment, things were not so predictable. I had no control over things happening around me, but they, were very, but they very much affected me. I now know my dad had issues and battles he was fighting that I couldn't understand as a young girl. But at the time, I just thought he was incredibly unhappy whenever I was home. Therefore, I must be the problem. And on some level, maybe my dad did think I was part of the problem. I complicated his life. I cost money he didn't have. And worst of all, I was a girl. He never wanted a girl. And I was desperate to be a treasured daughter. She writes, I've discovered two core fears that feed a person's sensitivity to rejection. The fear of being abandoned and the fear of losing one's identity. As a little girl, being abandoned and losing my identity weren't words I would have used, but rejection sting was a feeling I knew well. When a man is physically present but emotionally absent, a girl's heart can feel quite hollow and helpless. So tucked underneath my holly hobby blanket, when the darkness and, uh, and of night made my heart hammer in my chest, I would whisper over and over, God, don't let my daddy leave. Just don't let him leave. My dad fed my fears every day. He used the word divorce as if it were his freedom pass, not just from my mom, but from me as well. He thought it was no big deal to say whatever he felt, but because his words carried such weight for me, every threat of divorce was death breathing down my neck. Because if he did leave, then who would I be? A girl without a daddy felt to me like a girl without a place in the world. After all, if he couldn't love me, who could ever love me? Love was not something that graced my dad's vocabulary. His words were harsh, but it was his silence that most terrified me. A few years later, we moved to a blue house with green carpet, and dad stopped coming home. The last bit of what held together my security and identity splintered as he packed his things without so much as looking at me. I pressed my face against the front window and watched his car fade into a blur, and then he was gone. Rejection settled deep in my heart. I came to one earth-shattering conclusion. I don't matter. I am worth nothing to my dad. And even more disturbing, I fear I am worth nothing to God. Feelings of rejection are powerful. 
the fear of rejection is just as powerful. That fear can drive us to make poor decisions. Some of those poor decisions come when we fear rejection so much that we become starved for acceptance. When someone wants to be accepted so badly that they jettison doing what is right and what they know they should do to chase after the approval of others, that's a huge mistake. The first king of Israel, King Saul, he was that kind of person. He was so concerned about being liked by all the people that he struggled to be faithful to God. He had a fear of rejection. When God gave him instructions about what to do in battle, he didn't follow the instructions and God confronted him about his failure. Saul admitted that he was afraid of what the people would think. When God sent the prophet Samuel to confront him, Saul responded, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. When you crave the acceptance of others, you are likely to compromise your integrity. So let me ask you a question. How often are you afraid of what people think? So rather than doing the right thing, you do what you think they would want you to do. The other poor decision we make when we fear rejection is that we become overly cautious, so overly cautious that we stop pursuing relationships and doing things with others. You know, when you read the, about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it, you know, it's easy to say that all of the religious leaders were all against Jesus and none of them believed that he was Messiah. But when you take a deeper look, you'll discover that actually is not true. Scripture identifies that they were actually leaders in Judaism, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, who actually believed in Jesus. And they actually identify Two of them, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Study what the Bible says about those two men, and you'll see that they believed in Jesus, but they kept their faith in him secret. They were overly cautious because they feared they would be rejected by others. Let me read what we see in John chapter 12. Many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And a little later in the Gospel of John, it says, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. When we fear being rejected so much that we become overly cautious in our relationships, we miss out what God wants for us. Think that one through. When we fear being rejected by people so much that we become overly cautious in our lives, we miss what God wants for us, not from us what he wants for us. Those leaders, they miss their opportunity to do their part in ushering in the Savior of the world. It's worth noting that after the death of Jesus, neither Nicodemus or Joseph are ever again 
mentioned in the New Testament. It would appear that because of their overly cautious nature and fear of rejection, that they were never a part of doing what God did through the resurrection and through launching this thing we call the church. They just vanish. They just disappear. When it comes to the fear of rejection, when we fear what others will think of us so much that we live in that fear and that we restrict what we do, we miss what God wants for us. There's only one whom we should be concerned about pleasing. And that's the first point that I want to make. Say yes to pleasing God and no to pleasing people. Say yes to pleasing God and no to pleasing people. In the book of 1 Kings, there's this insightful event in the history of Israel. Now, this was back when uh, the nation of Israel was actually divided into two different uh, countries or two different kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, that was Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, that was Judah. King Ahab was the king of Israel and King Josaphat was the king of Judah. And Ahab asked Josaphat to bring his armies and fight the king of Aram with him. But Josaphat... Jehoshaphat wanted to please God more than he wanted to please King Ahab. And so we see this in Scripture. Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Basically, Jehoshaphat said, listen, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to join with you until you seek the counsel of the Lord. And so what does the king of Israel do? He, he consults with his 400 prophets and they all say, listen, you should go to war. You're going to be victorious. But Jehoshaphat didn't trust those 400 prophets. Why? Because they were the prophets of Ahab, not the prophets of the Lord. And he said, I want to know what the prophet of the Lord said. And this is what the king of Israel said. He says, I don't like that prophet because he never prophesies anything good about me. He had 400 yes prophets. They were always going to say what he wanted to hear. But Jehoshaphat said, listen, I don't want to hear what we think we want to hear. I want to hear what God says. And so uh, they, they went to uh, the prophet of the Lord. Micaiah was his name. And Micaiah was asked what would happen if they went into battle. Micaiah did not want to please Ahab. He wanted to please God, and that was his goal, just as it was Jehoshaphat. And so he prophesied the truth of what God told him. And the prophecy was that, yes, Ahab would win the Bible, a battle, but Ahab would lose his life in the war. By wanting to follow God and please God, Jehoshaphat lived, and Ahab died. Now, listen, I'm not saying that if you're a people pleaser, God's going to strike you down. That's not, the, that's not the moral of the story here, okay? But we are told over and over that it's more important for us to honor God, more important for us to please God than it is to please others or even to please ourselves. We want to put God first in our lives. And that's what Jesus taught. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, he said, listen, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, he's not talking about, listen, do this, and God's going to give you prosperity. It's not some kind of a prosperity teaching. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to worry about the basic necessities of life. Just trust God. God's not going to reject you. God's not going to let you down. Put God first in your life, and he'll take care of you. In other words, make pleasing God. Your number one priority. When Jesus came and said, follow me, he made it clear that salvation came through faith in him, not through doing any kind of good works. But in the early days of the church, the leaders faced a crucial test around this whole idea. You know, the test centered around this, um, that the laws of Judaism... And the dietary rules and even circumcision, was it part of Christianity or was it not part of Christianity? Because there were some who were saying, listen, to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. You have to follow the 613 laws of Judaism. You have to follow all the dietary rules and only eat a kosher diet. And if you're a guy, you have to be circumcised. Now remember, in the first century, there were really two groups of people. There were Jewish people and there were non-Jewish people called Gentiles. And as the church, the good news of Jesus began to spread, initially came to the Jews because Jesus was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish, and, and uh, everything took place in Jerusalem. Uh, but then God appointed the Apostle Paul to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the Gentiles. And now non-Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And there were some, they were called Judaizers in Scripture, who were saying, listen, dude, that's, I want you to come to faith in Christ, but you have to be Jewish first. You've got you to follow these laws. You've got to eat this menu and you got to be circumcised. you got to do these things to be a Christian. And obviously a conflict arose because the gospel is that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not through good works. And uh, Paul and Peter and James and the other apostles and the leaders of the church got together. And there was a huge conference. And they determined... Uh, what it meant to be saved, what, what it meant. And it ultimately came down to faith in Jesus Christ and being a faithful follower of him. And they no longer said, you, you don't have to follow the laws of Judaism. By loving Jesus, ultimately you will, but you don't have to intentionally say, I'm keeping all these laws. You don't have to keep a kosher diet. You don't have to be circumcised if you're not circumcised. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul discovered this conflict in his ministry before they had this conference. And he goes in the book of Galatians and he talks about it. He actually takes uh, Peter to task because Peter was being two-faced. When he came to do ministry with Paul, he would eat with the Gentiles, whatever they ate, and he would hang out with them and he didn't follow Jewish laws. But then when some of his Jewish friends, his Jewish Christian believers came, he changed his ways and, and Paul saw the hypocrisy of it. And he called him out. And, and a lot of the, the book of Galatians is about dealing with this. So in chapter 1, this is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, listen, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's saying, listen, I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. 
I don't fear the rejection of people. I don't even fear the rejection of my, my good friends who are followers of Jesus, who are, who are teaching a false gospel that says you have to do these works to be saved. He says, because I'm a servant of Jesus. I serve him first and foremost. No human being. It's interesting. Paul understood. If you know the history of Paul, if you, if you read the scriptures, you begin to understand, you know, he, he grew up in a Jewish household. He, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He became a Pharisee and he said he, he kept uh, the law perfectly. And then he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he realized that all of those works, all of that, those good deeds, all of that works righteousness didn't matter. In fact, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said, I, I consider all that stuff garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus. I don't need to do those works. I don't need to, to please some human's idea of what religion is because True religion is faith in Jesus Christ, and we're saved by that. Paul understood. In Proverbs, he probably knew this, this very proverb. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. You ever been disabled by fearing what other people will say about you, that they'll reject you. Yeah. God's not going to reject you. God wants you to know that if you trust in him and follow him, you're okay. You're okay. Early in my life, I remember I struggled with this fear of rejection, and I wanted to please people and make them happy. But what I realized were those relationships really never amounted to significant relationships. They, they left me empty. But as I matured in my faith and in relationships with people, I knew that ultimately I wanted to please God. And when I pleased God, I didn't have to worry about the approval of people. I didn't have to fear their rejection of me as long as I was honoring God first and foremost. And that changed me and helped me deal with that fear of rejection. So say yes to pleasing God and no to pleasing people. Here's the second thing that we need to say yes to. Say yes to seeing yourself as God sees you. Say yes to seeing yourself as God sees you. When we bought our house in, in 1999, uh, we, bought, we knew we were buying a fixer-upper. And over the years, we've uh, remodeled some things. We've fixed things. We, we've uh, done things to, to make the house look better. The last big project we did was to, to do our kitchen. And, you know, over the years, I, I had seen some strange things in the kitchen that I knew were problematic and that we would have to, to fix, you know, um, lights that didn't match the original lights and, and trim that was definitely different than the rest of the house and those kinds of things. And maybe the one that really stood out to me the most was, you know, we have a six-foot opening from our kitchen into our dining room. And instead of the normal traditional colonial trim that's in the rest of the house, you know, it's, the colonial trims, what is that, about up two, maybe two and a quarter inches. There were six, one by six trim all the way around it, up and over and down. And I always thought, well, you know, somebody did some remodeling work for whatever reason. They liked that trim. They did it that way. So when it came time to do the kitchen, I said, I'm going to gut everything back to the studs. And when I took that trim down, what I discovered was this was a load-bearing wall in the house. 
and the beam that was supposed to be over that opening had been removed. And what was happening was this. The house was sagging down, and to hide it, they put up one by six trim. So, uh, you know, we had carpenters working on the house, and I showed it to them and said, well, no problem, we'll fix it. They actually put in a new beam. They jacked it up. It raised the house two inches. The house had been sagging. But here's the deal. It was hidden. We didn't see it. We didn't know it was a problem, a disaster in the making. When you live your life running in fear of what other people think instead of knowing how God sees you, when you live by that fear and you don't, although you hide it with other people, you don't realize it's a disaster in the making. You and I need to understand that when we hide that fear of rejection, it's just putting planks over something. It's eventually going to break through. So we have to deal with that mess. And the way we deal with it is saying yes, not to how other people see us, not to even how sometimes we see ourselves, but how God sees us. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says that this about everybody who is a follower of Jesus. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved. Now, let's look at those words, okay? And you'll see that there's no rejection in those words. It says, you're God's chosen person. That means you've been chosen by God as his son, as his daughter. God chose you. And then it says that you're holy to God. That means you're set apart for him to be his child, to be his son, to be his daughter. And then it says you're dearly loved. All right? God loves you as you are. God values you. God wants you to walk in this identity. If you need reminding about how valuable you are, just remember the cross. Because God sent Jesus to earth to take us to God, to let us know that if we come to faith in Jesus, that we can be his son, son or daughter. That we're going to be a child of God. And he did that by paying the price for our sins on the cross. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he wanted us to be set apart and know that we're sons and daughters. He chose us. Walking in the truth of our identity as a son, as a daughter of God, allows us to overcome the fear of rejection. Because we stop seeing ourselves based on what other people have said about us, based on what you see in social media, based on what some authority figure has labeled you at some point in your life, and you start seeing yourself as God sees you. Walking in this truth allows you to live for God and let go of living for the approval of others. Walking in this truth really allows you to walk in victory about who God says you are. Does that not... Does that take away some of the struggles you have? No, it doesn't. If you read Lisa Turker's book, you'll see that she's a woman who experienced that rejection, that abandonment as a child. And yes, she still struggles with it, but she knows her identity is in Christ. And it's because of knowing her identity in Christ, she's not crippled by that fear anymore. She's able to push it aside. She's able to walk in the truth of who she is. And you and I can do the same. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
we become a child of God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind to help us follow Jesus and walk in that identity. So I, I want to bring this message to a close because I want to pray for all of us as we struggle with that fear of what others think about us. Some of us even struggle with that fear of abandonment. Some of us even struggle maybe with a fear of rejection. And, and I want to pray that God will work in our lives and that we will let go of those fears and we'll walk in power and love and in a sound mind as sons and daughters of God. So if you would, pray with me. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to give us the power to know that we can be sons and daughters of Christ through faith and to give us the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray for every single one of us who, who struggle with words that have been spoken about us or over us or labels that have been given to us. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for any of us that struggle with rejection or fear of abandonment or people-pleasing. And Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from that by the power of your name. Lord, I pray that you would take those fears away and that we could live and walk in our identity as sons and daughters. That we could uh, understand that we are chosen and holy and loved by you. And that we can live in that reality. And Lord, anytime we struggle uh, with uh, fear that's more than an emotion, Lord, we take it captive uh, to you and ask that you would remove it from our hearts and our minds so that we can walk in the truth of who you've created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to end our service by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And uh, I'm going to uh, invite the, the servers to, actually I'm not going to invite the servers to come forward yet. First I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer and here's why. Um, Everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is invited to take part in this celebration. But if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's just bread and it's just juice. But if you do believe in Jesus, you know that you're fulfilling something that he told us to do in his memory. And you know that he ministers to us in a spiritual way when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you've never believed in him, I'm going to give you the opportunity in a prayer to tell him you believe in him. Become his son, his daughter, a follower of Jesus right here today. And then I'm going to move into a time of silent prayer where I invite everybody to enter into a time of confession, to do what Scripture tells us to do, to prepare to celebrate this by asking God to forgive us of our sins. So if you would, bow your heads. Father, we're going to just uh, take a moment for anybody who wants to profess, profess faith in you to allow them to do that. And if that's you, I'm just going to give you some phrases where you can pray silently to God right now. And here's the first one. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that. I believe that Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And I believe now that my sin has been defeated. now I want to live every day following Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. But we'll continue in a time of prayer. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.